Shepherd, and Anthony is asked about a read to you from Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day of his own scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, and will place them among the hungry places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their food shall not abide the mountains of Israel. There they shall not abide in good food, and food in good pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will save what that was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Good morning, church. Well, our text this morning finds itself in a pretty familiar context of a lot of the Old Testament. If you spent some time in the Old Testament, uh, you'll come away with a very, very familiar theme, which is God's people are not faithful to God's covenant that he's made with them, that he will be their God and they shall be his people. Um, And they are to live up to that covenant and to walk with God in which they promised when they received the Ten Commandments that they would do. And God's people over and over continue to fail at keeping the covenant that they've made with God. Um, And in light of that, they oftentimes experience um, discipline, punishment, Um, challenges in the book of Ezekiel finds itself no different than that narrative. In fact, Ezekiel is a contemporary with the prophet Jeremiah. So if you've read some of the prophet of Jeremiah, he's prophesying at the same time. He's also a contemporary with uh, Daniel, who we've learned about the last two weeks. Daniel was taken away in the first captivity to Babylon, led there to be trained as a civil leader by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Jeremiah is uh, a prophet. He's back in Jerusalem at this time. And Jeremiah is prophesying to the city of Jerusalem, trying to save them from further destruction. Well, Ezekiel is taken in the captivity about eight years after Daniel to Babylon with about 10,000. And he there lives in Babylon and is prophesying to the exiles in Babylon who are dealing with this. And so you notice the nature of Ezekiel's book is much more reflective about what went wrong and how we're going to get back to what we need to be, where Jeremiah's book is much more about pleading to save the city. So in this passage, Ezekiel leans heavily in chapter 34, the whole chapter, on one of the most common metaphors by which you and I can understand how we relate to God and the the nature of God and how we relate to Him, and that is the shepherd and his sheep. You see, every metaphor that we see in Scripture reveals to us an aspect that should come alive in us on how we learn to relate to God. There's the metaphor of parent to child, where God is our father and we are his children. There's the metaphor of the king and we are his subjects. There's even the metaphor of the spouse and, and the lover. And so God reveals to us ways that we are to know him intimately and to connect to him. 
Well, the one of the shepherd and the sheep is by far one of the most common in Scripture. It's all over the place. And so there are important truths that you and I must learn in these metaphors. And this morning, our hope is that we'll understand not only God is the shepherd and us as the sheep, but we'll see the ways that we can relate to him, learning from Ezekiel and the people of Israel. And so the, the statement is this then. If God is our true shepherd, that means some important things that we've got to understand and our text is going to reveal to us. First of all, it reveals that we actually are sheep. If God calls himself the good shepherd or the true shepherd, um, and he speaks of his people as being a flock or sheep, that means that we are God's people. We are sheep. We've got to understand what that means. It also means that we have human shepherds, and they're necessary. But human shepherds, we're going to see, are insufficient. And the third point we'll see is that Christ is our perfect shepherd. Now, I put all three of these things before you to understand this. That you and I have to digest and understand and hold on to all three of these aspects. Because it's understanding all three of these that we are sheep, that human shepherds in our lives are important and necessary, but they're insufficient, and that Christ is our perfect shepherd will dramatically affect the way that we live in this life and walk with God. So let's try to understand those uh, this morning. First of all, we're sheep. Um, I'm kind of a city slicker. I don't know if you'd call me a city slicker. I, maybe a town slicker or a village slicker. Um, I didn't grow up in the city, but um, the closest thing I got to a farm was my baseball buddy named Peanut, who had a uh, chicken farm. It looked like a tomb, you know, like like a graveyard with all these little chicken houses. It's the closest I got to a farm. And, um, so when the Bible says that we're sheep. Like, the only thing I've got to go on is, like, Elena's pillow pet and, you know, some, like, images that pop up. I don't know what sheep are. I don't know how to describe sheep. And so I had to rely on a lot of research and um, to understand what God means when he says that we are sheep. And so as I did, dug into this a little bit, did a bunch of reading, trusted some resources of people who are actually familiar with what sheep are, it's pretty obvious that my ego took a hit when I was studying when God said, we're sheep. It's um, not necessarily complimentary of us, but it's true. Now, the point of us being sheep is not to belate us. The point of God saying you are sheep is not just to degrade human beings. The point of you and I understanding our nature to be reflected like sheep is to understand the greatness of his shepherding. It's to highlight his shepherding. But there's a couple things you got to know about sheep um, that stood out to me that really helped me understand how God relates to me. So I want to share those with you. First of all, sheep are, for the most part, defenseless animals. There's very little that a sheep can do to fight off an attack of an enemy or a predator. Um, the best thing that they can do is flock together and run around in circles like they're crazy and hope that the predator gets somebody else except you. That's the best defense that a sheep has. Get in a big group, circle up like crazy, and hope that the enemy grabs a different sheep and not you. That's the best thing they've got. They also can stomp sometimes with their feet, and they can ram a little bit with their head. But at the end of the day, um, there's very little that a sheep can do to defend itself. Without a caring and a skilled shepherd, in the nomadic time in which Ezekiel was riding, sheep were just a line of buffet for predators. They're helpless. 
The fight in front of them was too much. If it wasn't an enemy coming to take them, it was the fact that sheep just couldn't even find their own way to to find pasture and to find water. And so a caring and a skilled shepherd was required for a sheep to survive. The smartest thing that a sheep could do was to recognize its inability and stick as close to the shepherd as it could. That's the only way a sheep was going to survive. And a sheep, you and I must just absorb for a moment the reality of that, that we are dependent beings. I know that kind of wrestles against our culture. We like the self-made man idea. We like this, I've got this on my own, I can figure it out. But um, anyone who has this concept that they're self-made is just self-deceived. There's not a person in the world that is self-made, not one. There's always been something that's helped you, that's put you like further along, that's been there. And the more you look up, the more you realize that there's a sovereign hand that's guided us. And so the smartest thing we can do is recognize our defenselessness against challenges of life. The other thing that sheep have a struggle with is not just that they're defenseless, but they're also pretty directionless. They struggle with knowing where to go. I think this is true, so I'm just going to share with you, but you sheep people that know this, I don't know if there's anybody, Nelson knows a little bit about sheep, but maybe some of you else, others know, but sheep will constantly wander off from the very flock that they're in. So all the sheep can be together in their flock, walking in a particular way, and sheep in their nature just will walk in other directions. They will wander off. Um, It takes an incredible amount of training by the shepherd to bring the sheep together, to stay together. They would bind their legs and carry them. They'd go find the wandering one and, and bring it back and goad that sheep to keep it going, to stay with the flock. And even when they stick together as a flock, you know what's sad about sheep? Is without a good shepherd, they will follow the flock into dangerous territory. I actually read a story um, over in Europe about a flock. There's about 1,500. Um, Some shepherds took some time off. They were off eating lunch, not paying attention. And sheep, about 1,500, one of them being the leader, walked off a cliff. And then 1,499 sheep walked off a cliff right after them. This is not a funny part of the story, but it's a little bit like, like 1,100 survived because it was like a pillowy cushion at the bottom, but, <laughs> but the weight actually killed the ones underneath. They, they fell far enough that it like hurt them, but the others like, had, it's, not, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. You're laughing at yourself right now. All right. So sheep require active leadership to know where to go, meaning somebody outside of the sheep has to constantly be driving them to safe places, to pasture to eat, to water to drink, to safety higher on the mountain where they can find safety. We constantly have to be doing this. So if we're sheep, you and I need shepherding in our life. We need guidance. We need direction. We need leading. And we'd be smart to recognize that in our lives. So That brings us to this idea that God, knowing that we are sheep in need of direction, have given us shepherds in our life. You see, as you look through Scripture, you see God establishing basically three institutions. And all three of them have shepherds. Three basic institutions of life. It's the family, that's the first institution. The church, or the gathered together people of God, is the second. And the state the government, the state. God has instituted all three of those to provide some form of leadership and shepherding for people. 
We all have these. They're necessary. But one thing that our text reveals that I wasn't able to read because of time is that these human shepherds are necessary but inadequate. They're not perfect. In the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34, we see that the shepherds of Israel, who are both the religious and the civil leaders of that nation, the shepherds of Israel had let down, they simply failed the people, the sheep. They, they were terrible shepherds. And they're, they're, the fact that their shepherding was so bad is what led the sheep to be scattered into the dispersion, into Babylonian and Assyria. That, that's what happened. And so they had a problem of their shepherding. Their problem came down not to their skills, not to the fact that they didn't know how to take people somewhere or lead somebody. Their problem boiled down to their motivation. The shepherds of Israel had a motivation problem, and that's what made them inadequate. In fact, you see uh, several places in the first 10 verses. You can look in, uh, uh, let's see, look down in verse uh, 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You see, the motivation of the shepherds of Israel was this. The sheep exist for me. I don't exist for the sheep. Those sheep exist to fatten my life, to feed me, to take care of me, to provide for me what I want and what I need. And whenever you have a motivation problem like this where the, sheep, the shepherds think the sheep are for me, not me for the sh- sheep, you'll have two extreme problems in shepherding. Always, whether it's a government level, church level, family level, if the shepherds in those contexts think the sheep are for me and I'm not for the sheep, they'll have two extremes. And you see this in verse 4 through on the verse about 7. Number one, the shepherds will withhold necessary service to the sheep. They won't give the sheep what they need. Look what he says in verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. The shepherds of Israel were not providing for the sheep what the sheep needed. And when a shepherd says, the sheep exist for me, that shepherd will not give to the sheep what they really need. They won't do it. Now the other extreme is not just withholding necessary service, but shepherds who think the sheep exist for them will rule with unnecessary force. Look at the end of verse 4. He says, um, and harshness, I'm, I'm sorry, and with force and harshness, you have ruled them. You see, shepherds that look at the sheep and say, you exist to make my life easier and better and what I want, will withhold the necessary things that sheep need, and that will with force rule the sheep because things have to go exactly the way that they want them to go because it's for them and not the sheep. When the motivation is wrong with shepherds, the shepherding will always go wrong. Whatever level of context you're dealing with, family, church, or government. But when the motivation is right, you'll get the best shepherding humans can ever give. What is the right motivation then? The right motivation is simple. It's shepherds exist to care for the sheep. Remember, Jesus said, I lay my life down for the sheep. He's the great, the good shepherd. And there's one question that must be answered 
to set motivation right amongst the shepherds. So if you find yourself in a shepherding position in this world, if you're a parent, if you're a leader amongst people at your work or somewhere, or you're a leader uh, in the church, or you're a leader in politics or in government, there's one question that will, that will zero in your mind to see if you're a shepherd for the sheep or you're using the sheep. And it's the question that Jesus asked Peter before he left this earth. In John 21, when Jesus was redeeming Peter back to the fold after fishing that day, he said, to, he said to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter said, yes, Lord, you know. And every time Jesus said to Peter, tend to my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you care about me, feed my lambs. You see, if you love Jesus, you'll know two things. Number one, you'll know the sheep belong to Jesus and not to you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. So parents, we'll know that the kids that are in our homes right now are not ours forever. They're God's. And church leaders will know that the sheep that are amongst the congregation belong to God and not us. Government leaders will know that the people, the citizens, don't belong to them. There's a sovereign creator that's above those government leaders that possess those people. And if they love Jesus, they'll know that those sheep don't belong to them. And they'll know that they need to feed and tend to those sheep to care for them. But even in the best of human shepherds, they will fall short. And that's vital for you to know. You see, our earthly shepherds were never intended to be your eternal shepherd. Your earthly shepherds in this life, uh, parents, elders, even government leaders were never intended to be the eternal shepherd of your soul. Human shepherds, both, both in the best moments and in even their worst moments, can lead you to Jesus Christ, your one true shepherd. You see, on their very best day, a human shepherd will reveal to you the good qualities of Jesus Christ on their very best day. And on their worst day, they remind you how much you need him. In both cases, whether their best day or their worst day, they're pointing to Jesus Christ. I think some of us here need to remember that our parents, our elders, our civil leaders can never replace our father, our shepherd, our king. And sometimes we have expectations on them that are so high to be eternal shepherds that all we do is exist in a constant state of disappointment and frustration with them. Because we lack a relationship with the true shepherd. When we know this, we can be thankful for the good that they do, and we won't be crushed when they fail us. Do you live with deep disappointment in shepherds in your life? Do you exist with constant frustration over shepherds? Let their good qualities reveal Jesus to you, and let their failure be motivation to lead you to the perfect one. It reminds me of a story of John Winthrop. Anyone remember John Winthrop? He was the leader of the Massachusetts Bay Colony that brought the, a big group of Puritans from England over to America, Massachusetts. And he was this American shepherd. Some think that Ronald Reagan appointed him as one of the three shepherds that we would look at in a Christian society in a new world. And John Winthrop was a Puritan, and he was their magistrate and their leader. And about over the course of 15 years, different groups of Puritans began to break off from the Massachusetts Bay Colony because they just didn't think that John Winthrop was executing enough heretics. You know, it was kind of intense. They didn't think he was strict enough. 
And finally, they, in, they brought him to trial to impeach John Luther because he wasn't a good enough leader. Uh, eventually, he was acquitted on the charges of not being a good enough leader. And John Winthrop, in his acquittal speech, said to those that were standing around him, he said, remember this, that when you choose magistrates, leaders, that you choose them from among yourself. That's where they come from. And so when you see in them failure and infirmities, would you would do well to reflect upon your very own and let that draw you deep within yourself to grow closer up to God and depend on the one true shepherd. Who is that shepherd? It's Jesus Christ. That's really what our text spills out in Ezekiel 34, is that, yes, we're sheep, yes, we have human shepherds, and yes, they will fail us at times, but they are pointing us to the one shepherd that will solve all the problems, that will fix what we need fixed. God says, you shepherds have failed, I will come, I will be the shepherd. The final solution is God revealing that he is the perfect shepherd, giving us exactly what we need. And so the question then is, how does he become your shepherd, right? If that's his role, if that's who he is, how does God become your shepherd? Look carefully in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. God says, I will rescue my sheep. I will find them. And you've got to first and foremost believe when God says, I will come and rescue them, that God has come. He came. He was called Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, born of a woman of the Holy Spirit, came to be here. When God said, I will come, he did come. You've got to believe that. But when does he come? Well, he says he comes on a day in verse 12 of clouds and thick darkness. You see, the shepherd comes in our trouble when we're lost when we're in danger, when we have no food, when we have no drink, when we need a shepherd to come, that's when a good shepherd shows up. And when you and I finally see the hopelessness of our situation, when we finally realize our need, we'll know that we need a shepherd. And you won't know that you need him until that day. But on that day, in your darkest day, in your moment when you realize the clouds have come and the darkness is here and I need something, You've got to know that the shepherd is there, seeking his sheep. You've got to hear his voice, listen to it, trust his voice, respond to his voice. But why should you respond? I think that's a valid question. Maybe you're not asking it, but I'm asking it for you. If the shepherd is near in your dark day and he's calling you to come, why should you come? You see, it wasn't just your dark day that Jesus came to save. Your real salvation was actually won not on your dark day, but on his dark day. On a day when Jesus was led like a lamb, not to find water, but to be crucified. Jesus was led up a mountain like a sheep, not to find better pasture, but led to his horrible death. On that day, the Bible records for three long hours, the lights went out and the earth was dark. On his dark day, the judgment of God came. And on his darkest day, he became the shepherd and overseer of souls that would come to him. You see, Jesus, on that dark day, he, as a shepherd, became what the Bible calls a lamb. And he placed himself in front of, in between, your enemy 
and you, you as a lamb ready to be devoured, he said, I'll stand in front of you as a lamb and allowed himself to be taken. Your enemy was ready to take us. It's always ready to take us. And our enemy is not just Satan, although Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking to devour. Yes, it's Satan, but your enemy is not just Satan. Your enemy is also active and alive as your sin. See, Genesis 4 gives us one of the most chilling definitions of sin. When Cain was there and God was saying, what's wrong with you, Cain? Why is your countenance fallen? He says, you will do well if you overcome this, but sin crouches at the door and it wants to devour you. Boy, we would do well to learn true definition of sin. You see, sin is not just lifeless, dead, um, bad things that you can dabble in and indulge and then leave and then just go back to being your regular self. Sin is alive. Sin is active. Your sin is constantly seeking to find you to call up for its payment, your death. It's constantly coming after you. Your lies, your pride, your greed, our gossip, our hypocrisy, our sin is constantly coming after us. And we, like sheep, are defenseless when that enemy shows up. You see, Paul said the wages of sin, the, pen, the payment for sin, is death. And there you and I stand as lambs with an enemy staring at us. Our sin saying somebody's going to die. And in that moment, when sin finally catches up with us, whether it's today, on our deathbed, or the day that we meet our Creator, on that day, the question is, are we going to have a shepherd in front of us that made himself a lamb? Or are we going to say, I've got this on my own, and I'm my sheep? Do you have a shepherd, the true shepherd? The one who is up in the mountains by himself, that beautiful image of the lamb in Psalm 29, the, the throne of God is surrounding my throne, and in front of my throne is the lamb who is also the shepherd who leads them for the rest of eternity. Do you have that shepherd? You can. Come to stand and sing.